Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode. It was such a treat to talk with the gallbladder nutritionist and bring this vital information to the podcast. My voice may sound a little bit weird today. I just got over a horrible cold. I was so sick, and this was my first time being sick in over a year, so therefore my first time being sick as a mom, and I feel like that was the ultimate initiation into motherhood. When you feel sick as a dog, you just want to lay in bed, but you can't because you have a little human to take care of. Literally, when I finally felt better, all I could think was I should call my mom and thank her for all the times I'm sure she was sick and couldn't take care of herself. She had to take care of her kids. So luckily, I recovered well. I just needed a few days to move a little slower, but those couple days when I was feeling pretty rough um, and couldn't fully rest because I was watching my son were, yeah, they were fun. And then all I could think too is, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't get sick because that would really suck if I finally start feeling better and then, you know, he's up all night, super sick. But he surprisingly did not get sick. Um, He's still breastfed, so I know that when we are sick, our breast milk has extra antibodies in it to protect the baby, and apparently that really worked because he did not get sick, and so he's got an amazing little immune system. Baby boy also turned one this last week, which was amazing. We had two big birthday parties, and I just can't believe my baby is one. No, I'm not okay. So I know a lot of you have been asking for more content surrounding postpartum and birth. And so if you have specific questions um, about those sorts of areas, please send me a message on Instagram at Dr. Cassandra Wilder so that I can start to make some more reels or even a podcast episode with more specific answers um, to the questions that you actually have. Before we dive into the episode, I want to share with you about today's amazing sponsor, Jubilance. This is the most advanced scientific solution for relieving PMS mood symptoms, and it is truly top-notch and something that women rave about. With one capsule a day, you could find your key to PMS freedom. Jubilance also comes with a money-back guarantee, so if you don't get the PMS relief you need and deserve, send them an email and they'll issue you a full refund. Grab yours with free shipping and $10 off with code cyclical at jubilance.com or check out the show notes. My amazing guest on the podcast today is Olivia Haas. You may know her as the gallbladder nutritionist on Instagram. She is a certified nutritionist and she is passionate about all things gallbladder health. She helps individuals work to save their gallbladder or restore their health without a gallbladder. Whether you have your gallbladder or not, and whether you even have any gallbladder issues or not, this episode is so fascinating. And I probably say this with every guest, but Olivia's Instagram at the gallbladder nutritionist is truly phenomenal. She gives so much free advice, so much free support on her page. I learned so much just by following her 
And that's why I was excited to interview her and learn more from someone who is both an expert and has personally gone through gallbladder issues. Lastly, before we dive in, the easiest way you can support this podcast is by simply rating and reviewing it on iTunes or Spotify. So while you're listening to this right now, if you can take a moment to leave a review, that would mean the world to me. Thank you so much in advance. Hi, Olivia. I am so excited to welcome you to the Cyclical Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I feel like gallbladder health is something that nobody really talks about or really thinks about until there's like an emergency situation going on where suddenly the doctor's talking about removal or we're dealing with a lot of different symptoms. So I know this episode is going to be potentially even a lifesaver for someone Mm -hmm. listening. How did you get into your passion of gallbladder health? Yes. So similar to what you were just saying, um, I had an emergency situation and at the time was like, what is the gallbladder? Like I had no idea. I was, (laughs) you know, just starting school at the time. Um, It's not a talked about organ that much. And Um, and so I just, I, my journey started and I, like most practitioners, um, we become passionate, I think through our own health struggles. Right. And so mine, um, be, I just became passionate about gallbladder disease, gallbladder health, because honestly I was trying to navigate how to manage, uh, what was going on in my body with the limited amount of information and support and resources at the time. And so I just took it in my hands. I was just starting nutrition school and, um, was trying to get as many answers as I could just to get relief because, if you deal with gallbladder issues, it is extremely, extremely painful. And it can be extremely painful if you don't have the right tools in your toolbox. And and that was something that I really learned along my way. And I felt very confused and um, overwhelmed and just scared at the time of what was going on in my body. And it just led me down this road of becoming passionate about not only helping to heal my body, but now getting to work with so many individuals that are in a similar situation where they're having their first gallbladder attack and they're ending up in the urgent care ER and wondering, what the heck is the gallbladder? And um, they're in an extreme amount of pain and they're not left with that much information. Um, Or for individuals that are, you know, encouraged to go through gallbladder removal. And again, they're not given enough education about how to optimize their health without a gallbladder and they're really struggling. And so I get, um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I have to help so many individuals with gallbladder issues every step of their journey, whether they're trying to save their gallbladder or they're really struggling to recognize their body without a gallbladder. Amazing. It is so cool how like pretty much all of us, we are passionate about this work because of our own experiences, because no one really was there for us to advocate for us or educate us. So really cool that your story is the same. Um, I feel like as everyone's listening to your story, everyone's interested like, yeah, Olivia, what is the gallbladder and like, why does it matter? And why is it that nobody pays any attention to it? until there's something really serious going on. 
Yes, definitely. So we'll cover, I guess, a little bit about what the gallbladder is, right? And then why it's so important. Um, Mm -hmm. So the gallbladder is a tiny, but I call it a mighty and sometimes painful organ that kind of sits snuggled under um, the lower right lobe of the liver. Um, So it measures typically about three to four inches. It's typically covered by the liver unless it's like filled with gallstones. So your gallbladder is part of this whole system called your biliary system or biliary tract. That's a series of like your duct, your liver, your gallbladder, and your pancreas. And the gallbladder, liver, and bile ducts work together to control the flow of bile. And I think, you know, what most people need to take away with having a history of a gallbladder diagnosis is that um, your gallbladder and your liver are kind of like sister organs. Um, They work together. And it's one thing important to note that as you go on this journey, that we really want to optimize the health of both of these organs. Um, but basically, the gallbladder um, helps to control um, bile metabolism. And bile is this soapy like substance that's made mostly of things like cholesterol, um, bilirubin, bile acids, phospholipids, water, and minerals. And bile is made in your liver and it passes through to the first part of your small intestine, ultimately the gallbladder where the bile is stored. It's concentrated. And when we consume a meal that has fats, and basically your gallbladder is signaled by this hormone to relax and release the bile. And bile serves a very important role for fat digestion, absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, It's also an antimicrobial, so it helps protect our small intestine. It helps to break down cholesterol. It's a form of detoxification, so it helps to pull out excess cholesterol, toxins, excess estrogen from our body. So what we're learning more and more through cholecystectomy, I think more so than anything where the research is coming from, is that despite the gallbladder often deemed as an unimportant organ, because yes, your body can function without it, it still serves an essential role in your digestion, specifically your fat digestion and your biometabolism. And with the gallbladder, as I mentioned, that that bile serves so many important roles in your body outside of just fat digestion. So again, it protects our gut. It protects, it's a form of detoxification. And so what we're learning is that this gallbladder is an important organ to help optimize our bile health and our digestion. So fascinating because like you said, people act like it's not an important organ, like no big deal if you don't have it. And yet it is playing so many important roles and functions in the body. Mm -hmm. How does this impact hormone health? Yeah. So there's a several different connections to our hormones. And I think this is the biggest miss with a gallbladder diagnosis, especially because it's predominant among females, is not discussing the health of the hormones. Um, So I'll talk about the three main connections of how the gallbladder connects to your hormones. There really is actually a bi-directional relationship between some of this because obviously the gallbladder plays this role with digestion. Um, So first, estrogen. So women obviously are at a much higher risk of gallbladder issues due to your sex hormone estrogen. And estrogen is an important sex hormone. It's very important for things like reproductive health. It only becomes a problem in the body, specifically with gallbladder issues, when it's off balance with progesterone, um, often referred to as estrogen dominance. And 
when there's this excess increase of estrogen, this is what can impact gallbladder function. So estrogen dominance will drive the liver to produce more cholesterol to secrete into the bile. And that higher saturation of cholesterol to bile salts is what creates a thick bile that has a higher risk of gallstone and sludge formation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And then estrogen can also affect the gallbladder motility. Um, so we have this combination of this change in bile composition and reduced gallbladder motility, which can lead to bile stasis. And so where that bile basically remains in the gallbladder for too long, and then you have the combination of poor bile composition, we're asking for a recipe for gallstone and sludge formation. Um, And this is one reason why two gallbladder issues are often very common during fertile years, um, during pregnancy, and it's due to this increase in estrogen levels. Um, Again, this can alter the gallbladder motility and alter the bile composition, increasing risk of gallstone formation during pregnancy. We also see this with birth control and hormone replacement therapy. So that's one big connection. Um, And estrogen has been known as a huge risk factor for gallbladder issues over the years. Um, whereas progesterone, the exact connection is still uh, being understood, but based off some research, we know progesterone has a relaxing effect on the smooth muscles of the body, right? Including the gallbladder. Well, this can lead to that reduced gallbladder motility. Um, progesterone, on the other hand, really impacts the function of the gallbladder. So the function of the gallbladder contract and the sphincter of Audi. And so we see this where uh, there's impaired gallbladder motility during pregnancy, especially closer to third trimester and menopause. So again, when you have the combination of poor functioning gallbladder and saturated bile, you have a recipe for gallstone and sludge formation, which is the most common um, type of gallbladder issue. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, the one, a lot of people don't talk about this estrogen progesterone experience or the connection, but working with a lot of clients and from my own personal experience, I really started to dig into this, um, more so because I started to notice I dealt with a lot of, uh, attacks and pain around my menstrual cycle, specifically around my ovulation. And I just, I was like, what is going on with my body? This is very interesting. And, um, working clinically with a lot of clients, they deal with the same situation. And it's again, because, of this off balance between your estrogen and your progesterone levels causing that high saturation of bile. And then on the other hand of the spectrum, your gallbladder not contracting well. So those are two big sex hormones that have a connection to gallbladder health. Um, The third big one is our thyroid. And the thyroid, um, there's a bi-directional relationship between the gallbladder and your thyroid hormones, meaning one can kind of affect the other. Um, So when we look at um, people struggling with thyroid issues, they may end up with gallbladder problems. There's a higher risk. Um, On the other hand of the spectrum, because of the gallbladder playing a role with fat digestion, Um, detoxification, um, this may also affect uh, people with thyroid issues. Um, Also people that, a lot of times people report kind of like changes in their hormones after gallbladder removal. Um, So this is one that I really focus on is the thyroid. So we know um, looking at like thyroid and gallbladder health where 
you know, they kind of impact each other. Um, what we know is based off research that lack of T4, specifically seen with like hypothyroidism, can increase gallbladder issues um, in a couple ways. One is again that um, poor cholesterol metabolism, so that decreased liver cholesterol metabolism can alter that composition of bile, thickening it and increasing the risk of cholesterol gallstones. Um, then we also have, again, the poor metabolism causing that decreased bioflow, digestion, increasing risk of constipation. And constipation can further uh, increase risk of gallstone formation to develop. Um, again, finally, the poor, the poor gallbladder motility. So for individuals with biliary dyskinesia, which is where my history really um, lies, and I've had a history of sludge as well, but... Um, over the years after I reversed the sledge, um, I finally had the diagnosis of that my gallbladder wasn't contracting well. And I actually have a history of uh, poor thyroid function. And so this was something that was a huge moving point for me as I worked on my journey to save my gallbladder was working on my thyroid health because the thyroid could really impact gallbladder motility. Um now, on the flip side, when we look at like gallbladder function and how it could affect the thyroid, well, we know that gallbladder plays a role with fat digestion. And so if the gallbladder is not contracting well or potentially like our bile and the fat digestion is impaired after gallbladder removal, this can result in deficiencies of our fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K which can all further impact hormone health, um, thyroid function, and that conversion of the T4 to T3. Uh, poor detoxification. Again, if the gallbladder is not contracting well, there's that impaired bioflow or, you know, the the bile composition changes after gallbladder removal. There's poor bioflow after removal. The toxins build up in our body. Um, and so this is a huge thing where the toxins, the more that these get, as they stay in the body and they um, get reabsorbed, um, we're not releasing out toxins, we're not releasing out waste, heavy metals, excess estrogen, excess cholesterol, we're further causing uh, thyroid issues. Um, also, the higher estrogen levels from poor detoxification can cause thyroid stress, right? Um and then finally, because we know bile is an antimicrobial, um, our gut health can really change from the impaired bile flow with gallbladder issues or without a gallbladder. Um, and we see this uh, with SIBO, or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, being very common with um, individuals with a history of gallbladder issues uh, before surgery, but more so after surgery. Um, again, that bile... Um, causing that SIBO, having a poor gut health, really um, affecting our thyroid health um, for conversion, for different nutrients that are needed for optimal thyroid health. It's like insane actually to hear how much our gallbladder impacts everything else in our body from our sex hormones to our thyroid to our gut health. Like why does no one talk about this? Yeah. You probably hear that all the time in your work. Exactly. And I try to always encourage clients, like we, we have to stop looking at just the gallbladder. Um, the gallbladder often is 
an issue more so in the liver and as we know um, a large portion of the biometabolism right but at the end of the day the whole body is connected and that's a mistake that a lot of people make on their gallbladder journey to try to save their gallbladders they're only focusing on the gallbladder and they're not looking at the big picture and that's the same with gallbladder surgery. There's nothing wrong with gallbladder surgery, but we're just treating one organ. We're not we're not um, addressing the fact of or the cause of gallbladder issues in the first place or the fact that your liver and that bile still needs to be optimized after gallbladder removal. Exactly. Exactly. So where does all the confusion come from? You know, how are gallbladder issues diagnosed or what are the signs that most people would start to see to indicate something may be going on? Yes. Uh, so typically the number one sign is intolerance to fatty foods, I would say is the first. So any GI issues related to eating fatty foods, so feeling nauseous, bloating, gas, burping, um, heartburn, reflux, um, diarrhea, constipation, um, Typically, because the gallbladder liver sit in that upper right um, quadrant of your abdomen, some individuals will start to notice tenderness there um, with or without touch. So they'll notice that pain in that upper right middle sternum. Sometimes the pain moves up to the back. Um, typically, they'll have clay or light-colored stool. And these can all be signs that our gallbladder needs some support. We really need to be optimizing that gallbladder motility, our liver health, our bioflow. Um, and if you have a concern and if you know you have a his family history of gallbladder issues and you're starting to present with some of these GI issues, it's good to always double check um, to prevent um, uh, the unwanted ER visit uh, that a lot of us experience. Um, mm -hmm. So typically the doctors will start with first just blood work and then an ultrasound um, to diagnose. They may run additional testing like endoscopy, CT scan, depending on the individual. Um, in my case, um, if there's uh, gallbladder symptoms present without the gallstones and sludge present, they will test the gallbladder function with the HIDA scan with ejection fraction to either diagnose what we call biliary dyskinesia, which is a poor functioning gallbladder, or on the other end of the spectrum, a hyperkinetic gallbladder, which is a gallbladder that spasms quite frequently. So we just want to be aware of these early warning signs. And usually, usually, like I said, it's typical intolerance to fatty foods. Um, it can be healthy fats or even very, very fatty, greasy meals. Um, and then we have the unwanted gallbladder attacks. And these things are extremely painful. Um, a lot of females compare it to labor. Um, some say it's worse than labor. Uh, so typically what happens in a gallbladder attack is it will occur like after, you know, someone's eaten a very fatty, greasy meal or at the end of the day um, with the history of biliary dyskinesia. I've had them when I've been extremely stressed outside of diet. Um, but what will happen is there'll be this intense pain that can sometimes um, lie in the middle sternum and it moves over to the upper right. For some individuals, it moves up to the upper back, the right shoulder blade. And it can last for a couple minutes, up to eight hours plus. And typically, um, individuals will have symptoms like either heartburn, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Um, and it's a pain that will just knock you to your feet, uh, where basically you just have to lay down, um, breathe it out. And I use, and I typically recommend to clients to use uh, what I call a gallbladder attack toolkit, which is um, different mocktails that you can kind of use to help lessen the pain. But 
if you have a gallbladder attack and typically for most individuals, if it's their first one, they're, they're just in shock. And so they will end up in the urgent care, um, because they're not sure what's going on with their body. Um, if your attacks linger on longer and you start to notice things like jaundice or you're vomiting, vomiting with water, um, and you're just, the pain is intense, it is important that you consult with your doctor or urgent care right away. So gallbladder attacks can be extremely scary, um, and they are the reason why most individuals move forward with gallbladder removal, and I understand completely why they would, um, especially if they're dealing with attacks back-to-back. Um, just because physically they are exhausting, they're extremely painful, and mentally they're very scary. So um, that's often reason why individuals go through gallbladder removal or the, like a surgeon would recommend for someone to move forward with gallbladder surgery. That sounds so horrific. I can't yes. even imagine. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> wow. So definitely there's a lot of signs that we can start to see before things really, really tip to that point, like you said, where we have to go to the ER or we're thinking about removal, what are some of the deeper root causes behind gallbladder disease? Like how does this over time slowly start? Yes. Uh, So when looking at risk factors of gallbladder disease, I kind of like to look at or causes. I like to look at Um, break it down based off like controllable and uncontrollable risk factors. So it's well known that females in their fertile years are at a higher risk because of this hormone connection. So we see it a lot during pregnancy, um, menopause, perimenopause too. Um, Age, age, uh, genetics are also risk factors. So it's very common individuals that um, have a family history uh, will develop gallbladder problems or they're at a higher risk. But then we have these what I call controllable causes, which are often related to diet and lifestyle choices that maybe your doctor may not fully discuss with you. But these are other things that can cause an increased risk of gallbladder issues that when we look at addressing the cause of, we kind of peel back the onion and look at um, what's going on, what contributed to this imbalance in the body that formed things like gallstone sludge or a poor function. So metabolic issues, things like obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, we have fast weight loss, um, uh, causing that biostasis and promotion of gallstones, medication use, uh, birth control, HRT, long-term use of things like PPIs, Um, poor diet. So diet is a huge contributing factor to gallbladder issues. Um, And your diet is so impactful to help uh, reduce gallbladder pains, reduce gallbladder attacks. It's also the foundation when you're working to uh, shrink stones, reverse sludge, or improve the function. So when we look at diets that contribute to gallbladder issues, they typically are diets that are in poor quality fats and low in fiber. Uh, diets um, high in protein, low in fiber, um, diets high in refined sugars and carbs, um, any like trans fats, um, all of that can contribute to gallbladder problems. Constipation um, can lead to uh, that uh, that poor bile composition. Um, GI issues, uh, parasites, H. pylori, lack of exercise, um, pregnancy, perimenopause, menopause are all high risk factors. Gluten intolerance, it's very common individuals with celiac disease um, have uh, gallbladder issues. Um, I can tell you from um, 
from a clinical and personal um, experience, removing gluten from the diet in a gallbladder diet does um, helps tremendously, um, even if the individual doesn't have a gluten allergy. Um, that's one thing that can uh, really impact the gallbladder motility. Um, as we know, thyroid dysfunction, so history of hypothyroidism, um, Hashimoto's, um, and other medication use. Uh, the other one can be antidepressants, uh, antidepressants because of that um, suppressed gallbladder motility, history of eating disorders. Um, those are some things that can um, contribute to gallbladder issues. Uh, but a large portion, when we look at what's causing gallstone formation and sludge, those are like the most common contributors to gallbladder issues. It often stems in the liver and again, that altered bile composition. And all of these factors that I listed, these all can cause uh, poor liver health, that poor bile composition and contribute to the higher risk of gallbladder issues. That's so interesting. What, you know, if someone goes to the average doctor and they're struggling with their gallbladder, what is the average physician going to say to do or what are they going to say to eat? Typically, um, dietary recommendations are to follow a low-fat diet. Um, some doctors are quick to remove the gallbladder. Um, I am seeing it more and more common now that if someone's not dealing with chronic pain and attacks, they're open to the individual doing a diet and lifestyle change. There is one pharmaceutical called Ursodiol, which can be used to shrink like smaller gallstones. It's sludge. Um, some doctors will use it. Some don't like to use it because they don't feel like it's effective. It doesn't help prevent gallstones from developing in the future, which to their point, they're um, extremely correct. If you don't address the cause of the gallstones and sludge, your body is going to continue to develop them. Um, so um, that is the argument there. But I have seen Ursodal be really effective alongside the dietary lifestyle recommendations that I provide. Okay. Interesting. Um, where are, what are some of the foundations that you share? I mean, your Instagram is so fascinating. That's how I first found you. And I was like, I am learning so much from this woman, <laughs> so refreshing, so many different resources. So if someone is working with you and say they're struggling with gallbladder attacks or sludge, where do you start? What are these big foundational pieces? Yes. So um, the foundation starts with our diet and lifestyle, right? So we want to look at first reducing gallbladder and I say liver uh, stressors because they go hand in hand. Um, so this can include our diet, environmental toxins, and mental and physical stress on the body. So we want to look at what um, from a dietary and lifestyle perspective is um, causing this increased risk of um, our, our gallbladder issue. Um, and we want to take these out and reduce them as much as possible. Um, so from a dietary perspective, obviously, um, to simplify nutrition, in most cases, avoid processed foods as much as possible and just focus on eating real foods. That's a great foundation to start. I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up in trying to figure out the best diet for gallbladder issues, what we should be eating. We get so hyper-focused on the amount of fats in our meals, but really we should be first starting with focusing on the foundation of avoiding some of these processed foods, the refined carbs, these um, low-quality fats, these vegetable oils, 
and just get back to the basics of eating real food. Um, and so we know diets, the number one contributor to gallbladder problems, these specific foods, diets, low in calories, restricted diets, diets, high in refined sugars, low in fiber, high in fat have been linked to gallbladder problems. So we want to do the opposite of what these diets that contribute to gallbladder issues, right? So instead, um, we want to focus on real food. We want to focus on eating healthy fats over low quality fats. And this may sound very scary for a lot of people. I'm not recommending that you go from a low fat diet to eating a lot of fat in your diet at all. Um, that's the last thing you want to do uh, first mm -hmm. for any, any individual that's on a low fat diet and stuck on it. What I typically recommend is just work on the foundations of eating real food first, do a lot of things to help support your gallbladder and liver with key gallbladder liver foods and supplements, then work on increasing your healthy fats over time. But this is also where working with a nutritionist, a dietitian, or another practitioner to help you is very helpful, um, especially because a lot of people with gallbladder issues have a fear of fats. But we want to emphasize um, avoid a lot of those low-quality fats, the vegetable oils like canola, soybeans, safflower, sunflower oil, which just overall are not great for our health, drive inflammation, mm -hmm. um, and just focus on eating healthier fats, um, which could come from avocado, coconut, animal fats, nuts, seeds. Everybody's tolerance with fats is different in a gallbladder diet, and that's the tricky part. Um we want to love our fiber on a gallbladder plate um, because the fiber is really key to normalizing bile and supporting liver detoxification, supporting healthy bowels. Um, I can tell you uh, from personal experience and working with clients, fiber helps a ton, especially as we're working to increase healthy fats in a diet. So we want to prioritize fiber on a plate. Um, an easy trick is, or easy tip is just focusing on like 50% of your plate of non-starchy vegetables. Um, if this is something new to you, again, take it slow and just increase that fiber slowly. Um, so we aren't dealing with some of the uncomfortable bloating and gas that could come with increasing the fiber. Um, and then again, if you still struggle with fiber intolerance and you're working on a gallbladder diet, this is where we have to, uh, work with someone for support and help. Because fiber is so critical in a gallbladder diet. Um, increasing those key gallbladder and liver foods are really helpful to support our gallbladder, the liver, help normalize that bile, improve that bile flow, and help us as well to increase our fat tolerance. So those are things like bitter foods. Those are uh, like cilantro, radish, parsley, dandelion, um, mustard greens, collard greens, lemon, apple cider vinegar, anything that's kind of bitter to the palate um, is great in a gallbladder diet. And the bitter foods also, they help promote bile flow, but also support liver detoxification. So they're helping to normalize that bile. Um, Cologog rich foods are things like beets and artichoke. Um, and then different herbs can totally be used in a gallbladder liver diet. And I would recommend that you work with a practitioner to help you. Um, and they can customize the different herbs that you're using. But herbs traditionally have been used for years for gallbladder and liver health. So some common ones are things like peppermint, dandelion, artichoke, greater celandine. So there's quite a few. Um and you'll kind of notice those typically in like digestive bitter supplements. Um, but again, I typically recommend you work with um, someone to help you just for contraindications, but also they can kind of customize which herbs would be best for you. Um, 
And then finally, we want to support detox and drainage pathways. Um, so making sure we're getting frequent bowels. If we're not, we really got to work on reducing the constipation as much as possible because we know that constipation um, really affects our gallbladder, our liver, and our bile health. Um, castor oil packs are great um, to help with constipation, to help support your liver, promote that bile flow. Making sure we sweat out toxins through sauna, exercise, Epsom salt baths. So really doing, um, when we look at like a foundational thing um, to support your gallbladder health, we really want to do things that support our gallbladder and our liver. Okay. What's cool is when we support the body synergistically, like that's also going to support everything else in your body, right? Like the more you holistically support your thyroid or your hormones, like they have this ripple effect. And I think that's why I love holistic medicine so much. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. You talked about herbs um, and I see a lot of people talk about ox bile. Mm -hmm. What, uh, or vinegar even, are there other things that could be worth considering? Yes. Uh, so typically, if you have gallbladder issues, um, you probably will read on the internet something about ox bile, tudka, um, and apple cider vinegar with or without a gallbladder. Um, and a lot of people will recommend like you have to take ox bile, you have to take tudka. From clinical experience, I don't actually take this approach. I really individualize it. Um, just because one I've seen over the years, people respond in different ways to things like bile salts, which is the ox bile in, and tudka. Um, so for this reason, I take an individualized approach. So again, I would recommend you work with an individual or a practitioner to help you for supplementation um, for gallbladder and for liver health. But ox bile um, and tudka, they're a form of bile salt. And they have been used, well, ox bile more so traditionally for years to help individuals digest fats without a gallbladder or when the gallbladder is poor functioning. Um, individuals will often use ox bile with fattier meals and to help reduce symptoms like bloating, gas, heartburn, or nausea after fatty meals. Um, and for me personally with biliary dyskinesia, it's helped a ton. So I do use ox bile quite frequently alongside herbs. And I notice a big difference when I eat fattier meals and my bowels improve a ton. So I do use ox bile alongside herbs, but um, both, so ox bile and tudka help support bile production. Tudka has been studied more specifically for liver health, so improving liver enzymes, uh, reducing fatty liver. It's been studied a bit for gallstones, for shrinking gallstones as well. So it is typical that um, an individual will use some form of bile salt in a gallbladder supplement protocol and as well post-op to help um, optimize their digestion without a gallbladder. But that being said, it still needs to be individualized, and I don't think that you have to rely on these bile salts. I think there's other ways that you can support bioflow um, through different methods, through different herbs. Um, but some individuals, one thing to note is like they don't feel good with ox bile, and so in some cases, I'm cautious under the like the following situations. One, when someone's struggling with a lot of chronic diarrhea, so like a lot of bile acid malabsorption. Um, I first work on this before adding bile salts in. So I try to um, work on getting the amounts of um, diary episodes down. And some individuals with bile dumping, they'll notice a significant improvement when they just remove the bile salts alone or reduce the amount. 
um, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, thyroid issues. Um, so there are cases too when the T3 or T4 are low or on the lower side, it can make hypothyroid symptoms worse or more um, prevalent. And so it's important um, that you do, if you have a history of thyroid issues, you and if you are using some form of bile salt like oxbile and tudka, just pay attention to your symptoms. Obviously, as females, especially struggling with thyroid issues, we're pretty aware with our body. So as a whole, um, oxbile and tudka can be super helpful uh, with digestion of fats and supporting the bile, supporting the liver. But again, take an individualized approach. Um, so if you've tried oxbiotetica and you don't feel great or you just are worried about starting with these, this is where working with a practitioner is very helpful to individualize this for you. Um, apple cider vinegar is another huge one that you'll read about. Um, there's a few reasons why. Uh, apple cider vinegar, um, I would say, is my favorite for <laughs> during gallbladder attacks. Um, it helps. I where I usually typically use it is I'll add like one to two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar in a glass of lukewarm water when I'm having a tack. I apply a heating pad and do some deep breathing to calm my nervous system and it tends to shorten attacks tremendously. Um, but apple cider vinegar is used in a gallbladder diet to help um, optimize our digestion, support the stomach acid, support the bile. Um, so outside of it helping with some of those like unwanted um, symptoms from poor indigestion with fatty meals, um, it can be used quite frequently in a gallbladder diet to help support um, the fat digestion, the bile um, and stimulating our digestion, supporting that uh, stomach acid as well. Um, and there is some, um, there are some things that show too that apple cider vinegar has a natural occurring compound called malic acid, which helps to soften gallstone. So you might read about apple cider vinegar in different um, gallstone protocols or gallbladder fresh flesh protocols. They'll add some form of um, an acid like apple cider vinegar. Um, so in most cases, a lot of people do really well with apple cider vinegar. If you try it and you struggle with like stomach burning, I would not recommend starting there. Again, work with a practitioner to address what's causing the stomach burning first, and then you can try to reintroduce it at a later date. Super interesting. <clears throat> You're just yeah. such a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's um, grateful for my gallbladder issues, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you can say that years later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, what things are different if someone's had their gallbladder removed? Yes. Um, so our body can totally function without a gallbladder. But one thing to know is removal does change the physiology of your digestion and that metabolism, specifically that bile flow, right? Because before your liver would produce uh, the bile and then it would store and concentrate in your gallbladder. We no longer have this like housing tank for this bile. So we want to keep that in mind after gallbladder removal. And the second thing is gallbladder removal doesn't necessarily address the cause of your gallbladder diagnosis, which often stems in your liver. So in this case, after gallbladder removal, we really want to do two things. One, optimize that digestion, our bile, our stomach acid, and our liver health. Um, I do cover this more in my program, the gallbladder removal reset, 
But things that we want to do again is do things to support our liver and that bile. Um, so working on first reducing stressors on the liver after gallbladder removal. So looking at like our diet again, making sure we eat mostly real foods, whole foods. Um, we are avoiding environmental toxins as much as possible for the things that we can control, avoiding mental stress on the body, make sure we're exercising, doing things to support liver detoxification and our drainage pathways. So making sure we have frequent bowels, exercise, um, doing things like castor oil packs, and then supporting that bioflow. So adding things in the diet like our bitter foods, um, uh, making sure we get enough amino acids, which help to conjugate bile, um, making sure that uh, we can, in a lot of cases, use different herbs again that stimulate that bioflow. So things like artichoke and dandelion are great in these cases. Um, and then being mindful about our eating habits, like just chewing our food can really help optimize our digestion without a gallbladder and can really help with some of those unwanted GI issues that can occur after gallbladder removal. Uh, what percentage of people do you think once they have these gallbladder issues have the removal done? Yes. Um, so unfortunately more than um, individuals that try to save their gallbladder. Um, and it's really because of the attacks. Uh, so if we don't have the attacks under control, um, or if they're not having the right tools um, in place, they're more frequent to experience attacks. And in that case, they're more likely to do gallbladder removal. Because in, in most cases, gallbladder surgery does fix the gallbladder attacks. It's not necessarily going to fix other things like GI issues, like the bloating, the gas, the heartburn, the diarrhea, constipation, or even the upper right quadrant tenderness. But if someone's dealing with a lot of attacks, in most cases, it will help support that. So like I said, if someone's struggling with attacks or even something that a lot of people don't talk about is there is a very psychological component to gallbladder issues where there's a huge fear of regarding attacks, the fear of fats, and that can really alone um, push someone to do surgery. And uh, dealing with gallbladder issues myself, I understand 100%. Um, at this point, I am still working to save my gallbladder, and I haven't done gallbladder removal because I don't have frequent attacks. If I was having frequent attacks and I was doing everything possible in my diet and lifestyle to save my gallbladder, but I was still struggling with attacks, then yes, of course, um, I would consider surgery in my case. But it it doesn't matter if you, you know, no matter what decision you make on your gallbladder journey, you just want to keep in mind that you're still doing everything to optimize your health with or without a gallbladder. And that's the most important thing. A lot of times individuals are told like, you can eat whatever you want after gallbladder removal, go enjoy a cheeseburger and some ice cream. Well, that's the worst advice because it's not addressing, it's just adding to the problem, right? Um, and in most cases, individuals deal with a lot of pain if they one, go eat a cheeseburger right after gallbladder surgery, but that's a whole other story. Um, so anyways, the number one thing is at whatever decision you make on your gallbladder journey is just remember that um, gallbladder disease requires a long-term diet and lifestyle change. And it can be a huge health blessing. We just have to look at it in the right way and to make sure you have the right tools. Um, and 
there's so many resources out there to help you. And it's just up to you to take action to support your body in the best way with or without a gallbladder. Such wise words. And I love how you said that if the surgery is the right option for someone, there's no judgment, but yeah, like don't forget about optimizing your health in general, because we didn't fix that root cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I say that a hundred times a day in my practice. (laughs) Don't forget the root cause. Yes. It's so important. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If someone was struggling with their gallbladder and you happened to overhear them and had some words of advice for them, what would be something you'd say to them if they feel super overwhelmed and frustrated, like their doctor's just telling them to get surgery? I would recommend you get support. If you're at the point where you are feeling so overwhelmed and frustrated, because I feel for you, I was there, um, your support team really matters. And if you're feeling pressured into something that you don't necessarily want to do yet or you need more answers, you unfortunately with uh, gallbladder issues, you do have to step out of the box and kind of be your own advocate and search for uh, more of like an integrated practitioner to help you. Um, Unfortunately, in most cases, our medicine is very split. And so it's up to you that you have to kind of take that action. But um, that's where I would start. If you're just really feeling down and out and feeling overwhelmed, um, I would start with working with someone to help guide you. Um, I have loads of resources on my Instagram, loads of tips that will help get you started, different nutrition eBooks. I do have a membership as well called the Gallbladder Saver Society, where it walks you through um, building a foundational diet for a gallbladder. It addresses the root causes of um, gallbladder issues and what to do. And then I'm there as an expert to help support you with the community and monthly Q&As. And I have experts that come in too that um, have histories of history of gallbladder issues um, that you can learn from. So there's always options, but I would say the number one thing is first get help. Yeah. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And you just started to answer my next question. I was going to ask, where can everyone find you and learn from you? And like really a plug for you, your page, seriously, the amount of like Q&As you do, all of your highlights, there is so much information there that I think anyone would finally feel so supported and heard um, just finding that. Yes, totally. I try to save everything. So I'm mostly on Instagram at gallbutter.nutritionist. Um, and as she mentioned, I save every week, I do a weekly Q and a, and so I save a lot of the common questions under highlights on my page. So that's a great place to start. Um, if you've had your gallbladder moved, I have a free masterclass that goes over the five steps to optimize your digestion and, um, your health without a gallbladder. So that's a great place to start on my page. Um, I do have the gallbladder removal reset program, which walks you through step-by-step how to optimize your health and reverse a lot of common digestive issues without a gallbladder. But I'm mostly on IG at gallbladder.nutritionist, on Pinterest at gallbladder.nutritionist, and my website is, it's pretty simple, it's gallbladderdiet.com, so you can always reach out to me there as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for this episode and all of this information you've shared. I learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else did as well. 
And for everyone listening, if you love this episode, find Olivia on Instagram and on her website and send this episode to a friend who may be struggling with their gallbladder health. And otherwise, my friends, we will catch you here next week. 